2. Turn our Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. We'll start reading at verse 4. We also turn in the back of your hymnals to page 933. As we look at the confession of faith as well. Hear the word of the Lord from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6, starting at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals. Uh, on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Then it shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to give you great and splendid cities which you did not build and houses full of uh, all good things which you did not fill and hewn cisterns which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant, And you eat and are satisfied. Then watch yourself that you do not forget the Lord who brought you from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall fear only the Lord your God. And you shall worship him and swear by his name. You shall not follow other gods, any of the gods of the peoples who surround you. For the Lord your God is. Um, in the midst of you is a jealous God. Let's stop there. And then we'll turn to chapter 22. We'll be reading together sections 1 and 2 of chapter 22 of the Westminster Confession, page 933. Section 1 of chapter 22. A lawful oath is a part of religious worship, wherein, upon occasion, The person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserteth or promiseth and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he sweareth. The name of God only is that by which men ought to swear and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Therefore, to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name, or to swear at all by any other thing, is sinful and to be abhorred. Yet, as in matters of weight and moment, an oath is warranted by the word of God under the New Testament as well as under the Old. So a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. Let's pray. And God, we pray that you would help us to be those who are faithful in swearing in a lawful way by your holy name. We pray that you would help us to understand this call of Holy Scripture, this example that's given in many places of taking lawful oaths, 
and help us, we pray, to heed your word and especially to see how Christ is shown forth as the, the blessed Messiah, even through this, uh, this study. We ask it all in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Section 1 gives us reasons why we ought to take a lawful oath in the first place. Why would we take an oath in the first place? Upon just occasion, the person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness what he asserteth or promiseth. Now, if, if you think about where you might hear something like this, think of the court cases where a person is asserting truth. They're going um, before uh, a whole courtroom of people. They're going before a jury. They're going before the judge. There's someone being tried in a case. And they're asserting something that happened. They're taking a witness stand. And they're asking questions. And one of the, the questions that is b- being asked of them is a solemn swearing-in process um, where they promise to tell the truth with God as their witness. And it goes like this. Do you solemnly swear that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you God. Or, um, yeah, so help you God. Now, it might be curious. That now, in this age of denial of the deity of God, and uh, in this age of secularism, you can ask to have these oaths somewhat modified. But for those who are Christians, we would take the oath with God's name, wouldn't we? What is the the what does it mean in these closing words? So help you God. I, I think there's two ways you could interpret it. You're asking God, or you're asking for God's help, and being able to be a faithful witness, and maybe to accurately remember and relay the facts of what happened in a court case. Um, but I I do believe that Westminster um, Confession of Faith 22 section one gives a more weighty understanding of what we might understand of these words, so help you God. And you look there again at section 1 of chapter 22. The person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he sweareth. Now, so help you God, right? And, and if you're if you're taking God's name as your witness, Lord, judge me if I not be true in this, in this giving this witness. Uh, so help you, God. I think you're going to need God's help if you lie under oath because God is not going to be pleased with you and God will discipline or judge you. And it would not be nice in the way. And you will need God's mercy and help because you're in trouble. I would think that's a correct way to understand it. Um. I love this. This is one of the most beautiful places in all of the Old Testament where such an oath is taken. And um, it's, it's more like a promissory oath rather than an oath of testifying truth. But it's found uh, in this a beautiful passage in Ruth 1.17 where uh, Ruth um, is deciding to stay with her mother-in-law. And instead of the mother-in-law says, no, stay with your own people. I'm going back to my homeland. But Ruth wants to stay with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And here's what she says. Where you die, I will die. 
and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. She's saying, Naomi, Mom, you are now my mom, and I'm going to care for you, and I'm going to do everything I can to be as a daughter unto you, and I will be with you until the day one of us parts from this earth. And she's making that promise. And she's saying, if I don't keep this promise, may God judge me. And it says here, may the Lord do to me or worse. You could even translate that maybe as, may the Lord take me from this life if I, keep, if I don't keep this promise. She's calling God to judge her if she doesn't keep the promise. And I think that's what it says in section 1. The person swearing solemnly calleth God to witness and to judge him according to the truth or falsehood of what he sweareth. So I believe Naomi was like, her eyes probably got kind of large and said, wow, she's really serious that she really cares for me and she's going to stick with me and, and she loves me. I can trust Ruth, that Ruth will be there with me forever. Um, uh, we, we talked about court cases. Maybe you're thinking only in a secular realm, right? Um, maybe oaths are taken um, for testimony of accuracy of a, te- of a testimony or truthfulness of a testimony. But it's not just in a secular realm as, as only. There are such things as court cases and the OPC. Um, even in this church, there in years years past, there was someone who had... Um, been excommunicated for adultery and it would be appropriate in such a case where someone had to get up and and to talk that the session or the pastor can can put the person under oath that they would tell the truth and the whole truth and nothing but the truth as a witness in such a case or maybe let's let's say on on a grander scale let's say there's a minister in the opc or a minister in this presbytery who has to be tried for um for heresy and he's denying it but there are witnesses multiple witnesses who are testifying that the guy is uh, teaching heresy there would be witnesses who would be called up and they would be put under oath um, in such a case now if, if God ever does call you to, to be placed under oath pray in Jesus name that you will be faithful and that you would do that to the very best of your ability to honor the Lord that he would allow you to be a faithful witness as you go under oath. Now, another place for such oath-taking um, is called the Oath of Office. And there are two places I was looking at, um, the President of the United States, but also a Supreme Court justice or judge would be required to take an oath of office. And I have here a, uh, a little piece of the oath of office of a Supreme Court judge. I, blank, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion. Now, I know that there has been in the past government officials in the United States who don't want to uphold the 
the Constitution um, in this, with this degree of commitment. But they go and take the oath anyway because they're not honest. Because it doesn't really mean anything to swear by God, um, uh, by God's name, that they're going to uphold the Constitution. Instead, they go run off and have this other political agenda. That is something that God is aware of, and God will judge. God will hold such men and women accountable for taking such oaths of office in a compromised fashion. Now, such oaths, you could say such oaths, um, are more of a promise. Consider an oath of office of a president or the oath of office of a judge. Their oath is not testifying to say the truth and the whole truth. Their oath is, I promise this, I promise that to carry out this particular office in, the, in this fashion with, according to these regulations. Now, what in the world is the difference between such a promissory oath, what's called a promissory oath, and a vow? Because a vow is taking God's name and swearing that you will do a particular duty, like in marriage. I vow to, to love you and you alone and till death do us part through illness and health and you know um, that's a that's a vow right okay but so what's the difference between a promissory oath and a vow and I'm, I got a little section here from section five just a little piece of a sentence it says a vow is of the like nature with with a promissory oath so according to the Westminster Confession of Faith, a vow is of the like nature with a promissory oath. So what's the difference? Not really much. It's pretty much the same, right? Um, in other words, there's a whole lot of overlap between the two. Now, perhaps you'll never be called to take the witness stand as an act of worship before the triune God um, well, I'm sorry. Let's say you happen to have to go to court. You are called as a witness. There's been a, a break-in on your street. And you're called to be a, a witness of the break-in. You've seen the guy's face. You've seen, um, and then you're going to testify. Do you think maybe that you going to that court in Pineville, downtown Pineville Courthouse, do you think that activity is an act of worship well I might not because it's not going on in a church right but according to the confession of faith it says that that activity is an act of worship it says such taking of oaths a lawful oath is a part of religious worship and that's even if it doesn't go on in a church even if it's going on in the courthouse downtown. Now, section 2 says that the name of God only is that by which men ought to swear, and therein it is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. And that's why I read earlier Deuteronomy 6.13. You shall fear only the Lord your God, and you shall worship him and swear by his name. Now, perhaps you might, especially you younger people, well, and older, you probably remember a time when Mama said not to swear. Don't, don't you swear in this house. You know, well, here we've got a verse that says, swear by God's name. 
what does it mean when, when, when your parents probably told you don't swear? It means don't say things like God's name in a flippant way. Or, as the tradition is in America that's, that's so bad, is that people like to say God cursed such and such. And they use a different word. They're, they're asking God to damn all kind of things. They smash their finger or they're working on a project and they, they're, they're calling God to curse all kind of stuff. That's the swearing your mama was talking about or your daddy was talking about. That's the swearing that God does not uh, approve of. Now, um, it's not just in oaths or vows, but at all time, God's name should be blessed. Um, it says that it is God's name is to be used with all holy fear and reverence. Um, that modern practice of Instead of saying, wow, people like to say, OMG. Or, they, or some of them just say, oh, Lord. And, and I tell, I've, I've told somebody this before. Could you please just say, wow? Just say, wow, instead, please. I mean, God wants us to treat his name in such a way with, with reverence. It's to be used with holy fear and reverence. It's not to be used as punctuation or as wow, in a replacement of wow. Uh, section 2 says, therefore, and goes on to say, therefore to swear vainly or rashly by that glorious and dreadful name or to swear at all by any other thing is sinful and to be abhorred, it's to be hated, despised. Yet, as in matters of weight and moment, an oath is warranted by the word of God under the New Testament as well as under the Old. So a lawful oath being imposed by it Lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. Now, you might ask yourself, well, what about Jesus saying, let your yes be yes and your no be no? And anything more than that is from the devil or the evil one, right? Um, that, that's a good question. Um, the Quakers, because of this passage I'm, I'm citing there in Matthew 5, the Quakers were so 100% convinced that Jesus was saying, under no circumstances whatsoever, ever take an oath, that they made it a, a regular practice to be a Quaker. You could not ever, ever do this. Well, let's look at the passage in question. Matthew 5, 33. Matthew 5, Now, keep this passage in mind, because we're going to read something later on in Matthew that's going to really inform this to us. Matthew 5:33. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil, or of the evil one. Now, I believe here, Jesus was making a statement of a, because of a practice where people in um, the, the Jewish faith or the Jewish tradition 
were so dishonest that you could not trust anything that they would say unless they had an oath behind it. Now, you might say that's an overstatement. Um, they, but, I mean, they were, they were having to evoke, uh, what does it say here? Some were evoking uh, heaven. Some were evoking the footstool of his, uh, they were evoking uh, Jerusalem. Uh, they were evoking o- an oath on one's head and all kind of weird, crazy stuff. But it, it gets even worse. I want us to turn to Matthew 23. When you, anytime you look at Matthew 5 and this passage, think of Matthew 23, because this is what Jesus is really getting at. Um, I would say a preposterous practice. Matthew 23, this is a, a list of Christ's rebukes of the Pharisees. Matthew 23, starting at verse 16. He says, Woe to you, blind guides, who, um, who say, Whoever swears by the temple, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold of the temple that sanctified the gold? Or the gold or the temple which, uh, that sanctifieth the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, that is nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it, he is obligated. You blind men. Which is more important, the offering or the altar that sacrifices the offering? Therefore, whoever swears by the altar, swears both by the altar and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple, swears both by the temple and by him. Who dwells within it, and whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. So here's a here's a practice. You got these Pharisees. Well, you swore, but you you didn't swear in the right formula. Therefore, you don't have to keep your promise. What? What? It's it's shenanigans. It's uh, what's the word I would like to? It's it's gymnastics, verbal gymnastics. Uh, it's a strange, twisted equivocation. Oh, well, I didn't swear. I, I, I swore uh, by the altar, but not by the offering on the altar, yada, yada, yada. Therefore, I don't have to keep my promise. It's pathetic. It's kind of like, it, it's kinda like a, a serpent slithering out of, out of the... An ob- trying to slithering out of a hole. It's kind of the, the practice this is. Now, you think about it. If this was rampant among what we would call the elite religious authorities of the people of God, if this was rampant among the elite religious authorities who were teaching people how they ought to live and how they ought to make practices, this was no doubt rampant in the society as well. But... <coughs> A godly person should not have to take an oath for you to trust them. And you shouldn't have to worry about whether they took the oath in the wrong formula, whether you could or could not trust them. And if Christ truly dwells within you, you should be honest enough where people can look at you and say, you know, her yes means yes and her no means no, or his yes means yes and his no means no. And now if you're a chronic, habitual liar that no one can trust 
you're not of God and you're of the devil anyway. And you need to repent. Section 2 says, Under the New Testament, as well as under the Old, so a lawful oath being imposed by lawful authority in such matters ought to be taken. We have a clear case of this in the life of Christ. Um, This is the absolute undoing here of everyone who is an extremist who denies all oath-taking and and vow-taking by God's name. Let's look at Matthew 26. Matthew 26, toward the end, verse 59. Jesus is um, bound. Let's look at... um, uh, let's start at verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were gathering together. But Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest and entered in and sat down with the officers to see the outcome. Now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. (coughs) They did not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. But later on, two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to repair it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? What is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, an extremist, like a Quaker maybe, who would say no oaths whatsoever, he would have to wonder, did Jesus forget what he said in Matthew 5? Or did he really mean what he said in Matthew 5, but he was under so much pressure that he broke his own word and he, he, he gave an oath anyway? That's, what, that's the only option. Or you could analyze Matthew 5 as being Jesus dealing with a dishonest people that need to be trusted and don't have to swear left, right, front, and center every time you need to trust what they say. In this case, Jesus himself allows himself to be placed under oath of Caiaphas the high priest. And that's what it means when we read I adjure you by the living God that you tell us <coughs> whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. To adjure someone is to charge them or to place them under oath. He's saying, I place you under oath of God most high. Tell me the truth. And that's what Jesus did. does. He says, you have said it yourself. What you said is right. I am the Christ. Now, terrible situation, a terrible trial, but even in this oath-taking, Jesus here testifies probably 
one of the most clear passages in the New Testament, that he is the Christ. He is absolutely, surely the Christ, the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Uh, Again, going back to the uh, catechism, oaths are to be taken when imposed by a lawful authority. And that's what the high priest was. But not just for ordinary conversation. Like, I... (coughs) <clears throat> like, I swear to God, I swear to God, this is the best song ever. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. That's what it means to, to take God's name, which is to be holy and is to be feared, to be reverenced, and to just treat it flippantly. You don't swear to God over a song or a movie or something silly. It, it's only in cases of when someone is required to take an oath by uh, a legal authority. Now, you may never be called to take an oath in court, but if you are ever to take the Lord's Supper in this church in a lawful way, in a way that is in accordance with our Book of Church order, in a way that is right and fitting, you have to take God's name and swear. And what am I meaning? You have to take vows. You could call them a vow. You could call them a promissory oath that you vow to be a faithful member of the church, that you trust in Christ alone for your salvation, that you believe that this is truly God's holy word, that you will heed the government of the church and matters such as that and your vows of church membership. So uh, you do have to take and you do have to swear if you are going to be a communicant member taking of the Lord's Supper. Now, oaths are important. And ultimately, the reason they are important it was that even Jesus Christ himself had to fulfill all righteousness by submitting to a lawful authority by himself taking an oath. But in so doing, even our Lord Jesus testified that he is the Christ the one who will come and return at God's um, right hand to judge the living and the dead. Let's pray together. We thank you, our blessed Lord, that our Lord Jesus, your Son, only begotten Son, testified and, and partook of that oath to give us even as recorded in Holy Scripture, the, tes- the testimony that He is the Christ, the Messiah, the ruler of the earth who will return in the clouds in judgment. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to be those who take vows seriously, who take our oaths and vows seriously, who keep our promises, who keep our word. And Lord, we even when called to do so, we would take this as an act of worship before you. For we ask these things in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let's turn in our closing hymn to 161. This day you gave us, Lord, is ended. Let's stand and sing 161.